Well, I want you to imagine a world where you didn't have to eat a meal every day, where you could just get on with life and have all your nutritional needs met by simply um, swigging a meal replacement. Well, you know, this might sound difficult for most of us who love to eat. It might sound wonderful for moms um, who can just tell your kids, whenever you're hungry, go to the pantry and grab a bottle of food. Um, but this was a problem that Rob Reinhardt uh, sensed in 2013. He's a software engineer, and he realized that human beings really only need food to survive, and uh, having to cook meals, you know, shop for them and prepare them and eat them and clean up afterwards was taking so much of his time that he decided to treat the fact that humans need to eat as an engineering problem that needed to be solved. And so he went and bought 35 chemicals that humans need to survive, including potassium gluconate, uh, calcium carbonate, monosobium sulfate, phosphate, maltodextrin, and olive oil. Well, then he tinkered with these various uh, ingredients until he eventually came up with a meal replacement drink that he claimed a person can survive on for the rest of their life. If you just have this drink a couple times a day, you will have all the nutrition that you need to live. This eventually made it to the market and is now sold. I saw some being sold at Walmart, um, and it is called Soylent. Have you ever heard of Soylent? How many people here have tried this stuff? I haven't tried it. I was going to get some and try it here for the first time. thought, what could possibly go wrong? Um, but uh, then I read some reviews about what it tastes like, and there's some mixed reviews, and so I didn't want to do it uh, for the first time in public. One reviewer said he was pleasantly surprised with the rich, creamy, strangely satisfying flavor. Another reviewer likened it to a vanilla milkshake with the texture of pancake batter. But then there were some reviewers who said it tasted like someone wrung out a dish towel into a glass. Another one said, my mouth tastes hot and like old cheese. Thought I probably wouldn't want to preach with that flavor in my mouth, right? One compared it to home, homemade non-toxic Play-Doh. Um, Farhad Manju of the New York Times said that he found Soylent to be a punishingly boring, joyless product. Chris Ziegler of The Verge, who experimented by subsisting on only Soylent for an entire year said that he never really tired of the flavor. Oh, sorry, it wasn't a year. It was a month. He was trying for a year. But after a month, he decided he had done his bit. He never really tired of the flavor, but he concluded that, quote, Soylent isn't living. It's merely surviving. He described the apple that he ate after that month as my first meal back from the abyss. And he called it the best meal he'd ever had in his life. <laughs> it was just biting into an apple after having a month of no eating. Well, I think that if there was, we can all agree at least, if there was some sort of substitute to eating um, to satisfy our hunger uh, other than food, it might be able to satisfy us physically and sustain us, but there'd be something lacking from our lives, right? There's an element of fellowship, of enjoying meals with other people. There's an element of enjoyment that just cannot be reproduced by bringing in nutrients through a, through a straw. And of course, there's an element of worship because God has given us food as a good gift. And yet, we know from Scripture that there are times when it is good and profitable to say no to this good gift that God has given us. And we call that fasting. So you can turn your Bibles uh, to start off with 
to Mark chapter 2. We're going to bounce around to a few different passages tonight and draw together some ideas and principles and understanding of fasting. See, a problem that exists is that people can love food too much. But in that problem, there lies an opportunity for spiritual growth. Anytime we choose not to do something that we are allowed to do, something that is good, we call that a sacrifice. And often sacrifice is just a good thing to cultivate spiritual growth in your life. When you say no to good food that you actually need, it's usually because you have a higher priority, right? You say no to food, it's because you either you want to lose weight or you have some other um, uh, medical need. Perhaps you're going into surgery in the next 12 hours, and so they tell you to fast for the 12 hours before that. And perhaps you've lost your appetite due to illness, due to grief, anxiety, or some other concern. What would it take for you to choose to not eat? Well, in Mark chapter 2, we are introduced to a, the, the concept of biblical fasting in the New Testament to determine if we need to do it and, and why. So just some context of Mark chapter 2. Jesus is getting a, a, a reputation at this point as a, a new rabbi on the scene. He's growing his following. Um, people were intrigued and they were confused by him. Some of the things he was teaching was different from what they were used to. And so Mark recounts a conversation that somebody had with Christ. This is Mark chapter 2 and verse 18. Now, John's disciples, this means John the Baptist, by the way, John's disciples and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews, were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with him? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Well, there's not really an outline tonight. We're just going to talk about this concept of fasting. We see here Mark begins this conversation that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and, and that means that this was a habit of theirs. This was a, an ongoing practice of theirs. This may have been a time of the year where there was fasting going on, or it may have just been the regular practice that had evolved among the Jews to fast on Mondays and Wednesdays. That was kind of a, a common thing. Um, some places did it on Wednesdays and Fridays uh, because of the Sabbath coming up. And they were, they were fasting. John the Baptist were fasting and the Pharisees. But Jesus comes along and people notice that whenever everyone else is fasting, his disciples are still eating. And so they ask this question. So first, let's understand what fasting is compared to dieting. You know, in English, we use both those words, and those are two very different things, really, although in modern parlance today, they often do get uh, confused, so there's some overlapping because of diets that use the word fasting in them, like an intermittent fasting diet. Is that fasting? Is it diet? Well, dieting is the practice of regulating the quantity and type of food and drink for health purposes. That's what dieting is. When you regulate the quantity of your food and drink and the type of food and drink, for health purposes, for example, losing weight or gaining weight, 
um, gaining muscle, regulating cholesterol, regulating your blood sugar. These are all things that you may abstain from certain foods or from foods for a time or the amount of food or the type of food in order to establish a healthy physiological benefit. Fasting, for the purpose of this discussion tonight, is something completely different. Fasting is the practice of willingly abstaining from otherwise healthy food or drink for a purpose higher than merely physical. So dieting is whenever you decide to do what you're doing with food for a physiological reason. Fasting is when you're saying no to good, normal, healthy food that you are permitted to eat, that you can eat, that you should be eating, in, in fact, but for a time you're choosing not to. That's fasting. And the reason you do that isn't physiological at all. Well, if it has those benefits, that's completely irrelevant. The purpose is for a higher spiritual goal. This term can be loosely applied to abstaining from food in various contexts, like Gandhi would sometimes talk about his fasts, which would go for you know, sometimes weeks at a time when he was on a hunger strike, to make a point. Um, sometimes you, the doctor will tell you to fast before you take anesthetic, you know, because your stomach muscles relax, and so it can be dangerous if your stomach's full when you're under anesthetic and anesthesia. So they tell you to fast, but what they're saying, abstain from anything you would normally eat for a higher purpose, but that's still a medical purpose. Now, purpose, for the purposes of our discussion, we're going to be talking about the spiritual benefits of fasting. That's what we, when we say, should Christians fast? I mean, I'm only talking about spiritual benefits. Now, you can um, keep a ribbon or marker or finger or whatever at, in Mark, but go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Dieting is a large part of Western culture today. Um, people are willing to control their appetites and their eating habits for physical purposes, the way they want to look or the way they want to feel for our own sakes. But we really ought to also be able to master our appetites for, for God's sake, for his glory. Um, the Old Testament is full of fasting. We're actually not going to spend time in the Old Testament tonight. I'll give you some examples. There were, there were um, corporate fasts where an entire nation would fast. For example, um, when Ezra called a nation to fast in repentance um, for their sins as a nation, then the whole nation would just stop eating for a period of time. Sometimes it was one day, sometimes it was three days. Fasting is mentioned over 70 times in the, New Test in the Old Testament. Um, and sometimes it's at corporate, sometimes it is a, um, it's a group of people, it's not the whole nation, like when the people mourned for Jonathan and uh, Saul and their death, they abstained from eating, I think that was for about three days. There's also private fasts or personal fasts that people did. Uh, Moses fasted famously for 40 days on, on Mount Sinai. Elijah fasted for 40 days, and Jesus fasted for 40 days. Those are the only three people who fasted for 40 days. We are not going to do a church-wide 40-day fast because it's not commanded in Scripture. Um, Moses may be representing the law and, and uh, Elijah representing the prophets and Christ being a combination of those and the king coming. They fasted for those reasons, but we are not required to do that. Um, the physical appetite and spiritual experience have been closely linked in history in many different religions. Uh, Muslims fast for Ramadan, for example. Jews fast still to this day on Yom Kippur. That was a national day of fasting for the Jews, the Day of Atonement. 
Leviticus 16 verse 29 talks about that. When I grew up, every Friday night, um, I ate fish and chips for dinner. Fish and chips was our meal because I grew up Catholic, and Catholics don't eat meat on a Friday. And if you had asked me why you don't eat meat on a Friday, my answer would be, because I'm Catholic. But only later did I discover that the reason is because Jesus died on a Friday. So the idea is that you're supposed to abstain from something, fast from something um, that is good and healthy, just for the purposes of focusing on Christ and his suffering on a Friday. And then, of course, as a Catholic, I also had to give up something for Lent. And so that wasn't usually healthy food. That was usually like Coca-Cola. It would start off with like I'm giving up fizzy drinks for the 40 days of Lent. And then I would cheat and have a Sprite. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to give up dark fizzy drinks like Coca-Cola, you know. And then I'd have a Coca-Cola and then I'd be like, okay, I'm giving up the diet drinks, which I never drank anyway. Um, so, and that's just the idea of giving up something to, to be in solidarity with Jesus who fasted really for 40 days without eating anything. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says something interesting. Um, he says, when you fast, Matthew 6, 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's interesting that Jesus assumes that the audience he's speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount are people who would be fasting. And instead of telling them, now you don't need to fast anymore because now we're in the New Testament times and I've come to fulfill the Old Testament practices, he doesn't say that. He gives them instruction on when you continue to fast, this is how you should not do it. What you should not do is be like the hypocrites who show off that they're fasting. They kind of disfigure their faces, you know, they, they whatever. They don't shave or they don't do their hair. They don't anoint their hair. And they, they kind of, what's the matter with you? Are you sick? No, I've been fasting for three days. Ooh, you're such a holy person. And he says, you're doing that spiritual practice to be seen by men. You're trying to draw attention to yourself. You're trying to drop into conversation that you've got the spiritual practice going on. And he says, that's not how to do it. When you fast, the way you do it is you keep that secret. Um, it's also in the context of saying when you give, you don't give for everybody to see, but you give in secret. May the left hand not know what the right hand is doing. When you pray, go into your prayer closet. Don't stand on the corner and be known for your many words and your flowery prayers. He's just saying in general, don't do your spiritual acts for the commendation of other people, but do them for God. And so... My point I'm simply making is that it's interesting to me that Jesus includes fasting as one of the things, when you do this, do it this way. He doesn't tell us to do it. He simply assumes that we'll be doing it. So it's one of the few practices in Scripture that there is no command to do for, for believers in the New Testament. We are commanded to pray. We are commanded to give. We are commanded to come to church. We are commanded to sing. Many of the spiritual disciplines we are commanded to do, to read the Bible, but we're not commanded to fast. And yet it's assumed that we will, and there are examples of it in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
So here a church is busy fasting and praying. It's just something they were doing. Um, Paul and Barnabas, in Acts chapter 14, when they appoint elders to a new church, it says that they committed, uh, appointed them and committed them with prayer and fasting. Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, apparently... Jesus assumed his followers would fast, and they were fasting in the New Testament, and there's no teaching to do it, but there's certainly no teaching that it ceased as a practice. So the question really just becomes, when do we fast? When do we fast? And the answer is, according to Mark 2 that we were reading earlier, what did Jesus say when we would fast? When the bridegroom is gone. So in his little metaphor here, he's saying, You've got the groomsman with the bridegroom at the party. You don't fast at the party. That's why they're not fasting. Verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come, verse 20 says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them. He's referring to his death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. And then they will fast in that day. So, we're in that day right now. You know, his, his point is, the reason his disciples, they said, well, how come John's disciples are fasting, yours don't? And he's like, because I'm with them. The whole point of fasting is to draw you closer to Jesus. When you're with Jesus, you don't need to be drawn closer to Jesus because you're with him. When he's away from you, that's when you want to be with him. And one of the ways that you express your desire to be with him is to fast. And so when he left them, they started fasting. And so I'm of the conviction that it is part of something that the Christian church maybe, can be, should be involved in in some way, that while Jesus is away from us, we recalibrate our priorities and our desires and our hunger for being with him by putting aside our, spiritual, our physical appetites for a spiritual appetite. But and this is a very big qualifier, not the way they did in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, there was a, uh, it would be, uh, a fast would be called by the leaders, by the spiritual leaders. A fast would be declared, um, sometimes by the king. It would be a national fast. It would be like a civil rule that you can't do it. Um, we even see the king of Nineveh telling not only all the people in Nineveh to fast, but the animals as well, because he didn't, he didn't know what God wanted. He just knew that he was in trouble. And so they just knew that fasting was a way of showing that they were desperate and that they were focusing on begging for his forgiveness. So even the animals weren't allowed to eat. But, but Old Testament fasting is not the same as New Testament fasting. This is what Jesus says in verse, um, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the, pat, the patch tears away from it and the new one from the old and the worst tear is made. And the same with the wineskins. You don't pour new wine into an old wineskin. A wineskin, the older that leather wineskin gets, the more brittle it becomes. And so if you pour new wine in and seal it, the new wine is going to make bubbles while it's fermenting. And it can't, it can't expand with the bubbles like a, a new wineskin would, which is supple leather, and so it'll burst. And so it's the same with a, a cloth. You don't put a new cloth on, you know, you don't put a, a piece of new jeans on your old jeans and then wash them together because the one will shrink and it'll be a tear. 
And so he's just saying everybody knows that the old and the new can't go together in that way. In the same way, Jesus is saying that the Old Testament way of fasting, what John's disciples are doing, what the Pharisees are doing, has no place in this new dispensation now. You can still fast, but it's not going to look like that. I'm bringing something new, the, the kingdom. And now that the kingdom and the gospel of grace is among you, the old system, the Judaic system that had a lot of rules and practices that was kind of from the top down is no longer there. Now you worship God in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter what mountain you're worshiping on. It doesn't matter which temple you're worshiping in. It doesn't matter what day of the week you are fasting. All of the feasts are fulfilled in Christ. And so it's going to look new. So, why do we fast then? Well, this morning I read to you from Isaiah 58. One warning before how we should fast. And in Isaiah 58, there's this um, insight into how we should fast with the warning of how not to. Isaiah 58, God says, They seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. That's verse 2. And then they say this in verse 3. Why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? So what they're saying is, we've, we as a nation have been doing this stuff and you're not watching. Um, they had the understanding that if we fast, you owe us something. So they are fasting to manipulate God. They're doing this external spiritual thing in order to get something from God, and it's not working because that's not what fasting does. You cannot manipulate God with your fast. So one of the things we're going to learn right up front is how not to fast. You don't fast when you want something from God and you think, I'm going to go on a hunger strike till you give it to me. That's not fasting. And so he goes on and says, verse 4, Behold, uh, sorry, in, in uh, verse 3, Why have we fasted and you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked hand. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I choose? And so he says, the reason I'm rejecting your fast is because you're doing this external fast, but internally you're still oppressive. You're still wicked. You're fighting. You're quarreling. You're doing things for your own pleasure. You're not really sacrificing. He says, is not this the fast? In verse 6, is, this, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from, his own, from your own flesh. So he's saying you're neglecting the responsibilities. There were other Jewish people that were in need and you're not even helping them, but you're fasting. I don't care about that fast. In fact, I'd rather you eat and feed hungry people than not eat and try to get something out of me. And so what God wants us to do is he wants us to be humble. He says that's the fast that I will listen to. When you humble yourself, when you do the right thing, when you obey me. So fasting is very much an internal thing that you do, not an external thing. So let me just put it bluntly. If you don't want to fast, don't fast. If you don't want to do it, 
if you're not driven to do it, if, if it's not something that internally you feel personally compelled to do, it's not going to work. Oh, I've got to do this fast today. Church declared a fast. Now I've got to fast. Or I'm trying to be godly, so I'm fasting two days a week, but I hate it. God says, don't even bother. Rather, just do the things I tell you to do. That's okay. You don't even need to fast then. You want to eat? Eat with a hungry person. Buy them a meal. I way prefer you to eat with a hungry person and buy them a meal than for you to not eat. It's about what's happening in your heart. Fasting itself does not impress God. Humility does. But fasting can be a tool to help bring about humility. That's what he's saying. When you spread your, your sackcloth and when you fast and you humble yourself, then I will listen to you. So you can use fasting as a tool to humble yourself. Um, a parallel would be kneeling. So you don't have to kneel when you pray. But if you want to express humility in your posture, you can kneel. It's, it's not earning you any ex extra um, grace from God that you're kneeling, but it's for you. You're using it as a tool because it's hard to be high and haughty if you're on your knees before somebody asking for something, right? So when you kneel down to pray to God, it's, you're, you're reflecting to yourself that you're putting yourself in a humble posture for when you're asking him when you confess your sins. Psalm 69 verse 10 says, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, you can humble your soul with fasting in the same way that you can humble your soul with kneeling. You know, you close your eyes when you pray. Did you know you didn't need to do that? You don't have to close. Kids, you do. Um, because you're learning the habit. But the reason we learn to close our eyes when we pray is for ourselves. It's to cut out distractions so we can listen to what's being prayed or that we can focus on what we're praying. It's way more focused when you're praying. You can pray while you're driving, but that's not, let's face it, that's not as focused a prayer as when you're kneeling at your bedside with your eyes closed, right? So those are both of those prayers are being heard by God, but there's something about you that you're doing that's changing your approach to God. And so not only posture, but through fasting as well. When you're fasting, you're saying to God, I'm being humble here. I know I can eat that. I may eat that, but I'm choosing not to. And instead, I'm going to humble myself before you and ask for this thing. Now, this may mean that you break your fast if you find yourself in a position that it would be selfish to fast. So I once met with a group of pastors for lunch, and this had been scheduled, you know, it was a certain day of the month, every month, and the pastors in town would get together and have lunch together. And one of the pastors came, and we were serving lunch, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm not eating today because I'm fasting. So now we all feel like a bunch of chumps because we're eating this great meal and going back for seconds in front of this poor guy who's just sitting there and I felt bad about it. I felt bad eating in front of him. And I, it was just kind of awkward. And I, I remember thinking, okay, if I'm fast, firstly, I, why don't you plan your week a little better? You know that this is coming a month in advance. Um, fast the day before. Or break your fast for the sake of the people that you're with. Because at times, you need to, you know, 
Eat what's put in front of you. You go on a missions trip and someone feeds you, it doesn't matter if you're vegan or not, you eat it. You don't ask that that comes from, you know, their puppy dog or whatever that they sacrificed for you. You just eat it, right? Because there's a relationship issue going on there. It's the same thing with fasting. So sometimes you can even break your fast. And by the way, just a footnote, it's not sinful to tell someone that, you've, that you're fasting. Because sometimes that's also very awkward because you're trying to get somebody, you're inviting them out for lunch and they keep saying no, they don't want to go out to lunch. And then you think, why, is there something wrong? And they're like, oh, I wish I could just tell you that I'm in the middle of a fast, but I can't do that because that's what the hypocrites do. Like, no, I mean, you can tell people, you can tell somebody that you're fasting if it's not to be uh, prideful as well. Okay, so principles we've learned so far, fast, fasting is not for you, and it's not to manipulate God, it's not to get something out of God, it is a type of posture that helps um, focus your thoughts and humble you in order to prevent you from other distractions, in order to help you pray. And in a busy world today, fasting is a sure way to remind yourself that you're spending that day in prayer. Otherwise, if you're putting a day aside for prayer, but you still have to go to work and you still have to do these other things, you might be forgetting. But when you start feeling hungry, you're going to remember, oh yeah, I'm hungry because today I'm supposed to be praying about this particular thing. So let me get practical with you if you want to try fasting. And let me say up front, you may go your entire life, Christian life, without fasting as an individual. Just like you might go your entire Christian life without taking three hours in prayer one day. But there may be a time in your life where you feel called to pray for an extended period of time, pray through the night, or you might feel called to fast. And when you do that, this is how you do that. Firstly, it's not a mystical thing. It's very simple. Step one, stop eating. So you just, when you fast, you just don't put food in your mouth. Ta-da, you're now fasting. Um, what I suggest is that you decide beforehand and plan when you're going to do this. Uh, so that you're not stuck in a position where you're like, am I fasting? Am I not fasting? Has it started? Has it not started? I'm really hungry. Is this cheating? You just get, you just plan it. And you say, I'm going to fast, for example, from sundown today until sundown tomorrow. And that's how the Jews would do it, sundown to sundown. So why don't I say from 6 p.m. till 6 p.m.? Well, if it's sundown to sundown, then that means if you have a, uh, an early dinner the one night, just before the sun goes down, then you've got sustenance, helps you through the night, you skip your breakfast, you skip your lunch, but you don't have to skip dinner again because you wait till the sun goes down and you have a slightly later dinner. So the one day you have your, your dinner a little bit earlier, the next day you have your dinner a little bit later, and you've basically only missed two meals then. Um, it's your breakfast and your lunch. So that's a, a normal way that in history people have done fasting that's very practical. You don't have to give up that much. You will be hungry. That's the point. <laughs> You're not going to fast without being hungry, right? Um, another way to do that, if it's your first time fasting and you just want to try to get into the discipline and you're trying it, you might um, try sun up until sundown in one day. So you eat, your, you eat your breakfast before the sun comes up and then you skip lunch and then you have your dinner when the sun goes down. So then you've only actually missed one meal, but you've spent your whole day fasting. So the reason there's no instruction in the Bible on how to do this, and there's no rules, and there's no how many hours, and there's no little checkbox appendix at the back of your Bible is because it doesn't matter, none of those things matter. This is about your heart. And so if you want to fast, but you can't do it, that's okay. You start small. I'm going to skip one meal today. And during the time I would have 
prepared for that meal or eaten that meal and cleaned up after that meal, I'm going to put that time aside and I'm going to pray for this specific thing that's on my heart. That's why I'm fasting. You can fast for just the discipline of it if you like, but personally, when I've fasted, it's always been about a particular issue that's, that's pressing on my heart that I keep thinking, I really want to pray to the Lord about this thing, but I'm busy, I've got, you know, I'm in class or... I've got these responsibilities or work or whatever, but I, I need to carve some time out. When am I going to do that? And then I decide I'm going to do that during my meal times over the next day. And then you just take your lunch break and you don't go sit in a coffee shop because <laughs> you'll smell everything and be like, oh. Um, but you go for a walk or something and then you pray during that time where you go find a quiet spot and you sit down and you pray about that. So it's a way of carving time out and focusing your thoughts for that time. Um, I can tell you about a time when I was in Israel, I was working at a restaurant that had a buffet, of all-you-can-eat buffet, and so whenever we were done eating, we could eat whatever we wanted. Um, but we were also working very hard, we were working outside, we were working in the garden. And so it, fasting was something that, you know, you're around food all the time, and I know that I'm going to be working in the garden in the heat of the day at some point, and I know I'm going to need energy, it can actually be irresponsible to fast at that point. So what I did was I would eat fruit only for that day or drink fruit juice so that I had some carbohydrates and I had some energy to do what I wanted to do, but I was still, to me, it was still a sacrifice because I got all this good food that I could be eating that I'm not and I'm just eating the fruit. Um, so the point is that you're giving up something in a practical way that helps you to focus spiritually. You might have the question, well, what if it is medically impossible for you to fast? You've got an issue with your diabetes, your blood pressure, or your blood sugar, or something like that, and you have to, you have to eat, um, then I would suggest choosing something else to fast from. Let me just put this with a caveat. When we say, I'm fasting, you know, when I was doing Lent, sometimes I'd fast from television, or whatever. That, that is a substitute for food, but whenever fasting is mentioned in the Bible, it's food. So just know that you're now doing something else that's maybe also good and maybe also going to help you and, and meet the same way, but I wouldn't really call that fasting. There is one case of one thing that people give up in Scripture that's not food, and that's found in 1 Corinthians 7, speaking about married couples. Um, he says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, each woman should have her own husband. Verse 5 says, do not deprive one another, meaning uh, conjugal rights, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. So Paul says that's an example of something else that you can refrain from or fast from in order to devote yourself from prayer is your marital intimacy, but only for a short period of time, and it must be agreed upon by both parties. And the whole purpose of this is to avoid Satan's temptation. And then he adds, I'm not commanding this. It's the only thing that he says, I'm not commanding this. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, this is a suggestion, it's a concession. If you need to do this in order to focus on prayer, then you can agree to do this and fast from this particular thing, but it's not a command. So, what types of things should we fast for? Well, in Scripture, we see people fasting out of grief, like when Saul and Jonathan died, and the people fasted about that. 
um, concern, uh, wisdom. Jesus fasted before making big decisions um, for clarity. Uh, personally, the few times in my life where I've really needed that sort of wisdom and focus and clarity was uh, in the decision on who to marry. I mean, it wasn't like I was picking between a bunch. It was just a yes or no answer. But um, I felt like this was a big thing I was about to propose. I should at least, you know, fast and ask God's wisdom on that. He said yes. Um, seminary, about going to seminary and uh, asking God for the provision for that and, and guidance in which the seminary, I fasted um, over that decision. And, then, and ministry direction, you know, making big decisions about ministry, I fasted about that. So that's just, I, I don't fast a lot, but in those times that when I have felt a compulsion, like it comes from within. No one else is telling me to do this. No one even knows that I'm doing it. It's just, I feel the need to focus on this particular thing and to pray about it and to be still before the Lord and have no other distractions. And so I cut things out of my life during those times. And that'll include TV and entertainment. It'll include food and drink. It'll include hobbies. It'll just be, for this period of time, whatever it is, I'm going to be focused. I think the longest I've gone without food is a few days. Maybe, I think it was three or four days. And what happens is you get to a point where your whole day is just focused on this issue. Um, and, and usually that happens quite naturally. If you have to force yourself to do it, I would think that maybe this, it might not be an appropriate time to do it. You see it very commonly with, not very commonly, but it does happen sometimes with people that I've counseled who are going through grief. They suddenly lose a loved one or a couple that um, loses a baby. You know, they, you lose a baby, you don't want to be invited out for dinner that night to an expensive restaurant and have dessert. I mean, it's just your appetite disappears. It's just one of those things. It's natural. It's normal. It's a, it's a way that your spirit focuses on crying out to God because the, the grief is overwhelming. That can happen with anxiety. That can happen with um, major decisions you have to make. So when you get that sense of like, I don't feel like going out and partying. I don't feel like having a big meal. I'm, I'm satisfied physically. It's my spiritual life that needs input and sustenance and focus and attention. That's when you fast. And then when that need is done, it, it goes away. I found it helpful to hear the testimony of John MacArthur, who tells the story of when his son was diagnosed with a brain tumor. As soon as he found that out, his appetite just left him. He just didn't want to eat. He, he just wanted to pray for his son. And so he prayed and he prayed, and this went on. I don't remember the story. Maybe I'm sure some of you have heard it as well. But for it may have been days. And then he said that he did even eat during that time because it, was, it was, would have been inappropriate not to, but he said the food had no, um, there was no pleasure, there was no joy in eating. It was just something he was doing to be polite. But then at a certain point, he felt the sense that his time of prayer had come to an end, that the Lord was going to do what the Lord was going to do, that he had lined up with God's sovereignty. And at that time, somebody came into the room and offered him a sandwich, something that never happened before. And it was kind of like God saying, You've, you're at the end of your fast. And he ate the sandwich and it tasted good. And then he found out just after that that the tumor was benign and that there would be no problem. And that son's still alive today. And that was way back then. So that's just another example. When I heard that testimony, I found that helpful because it, sh it was another example of a person who's compelled from within. And then when it comes to a time where you, you just feel, okay, I'm done now. And then you can start eating again. 
one objection to fasting I just wanted to mention. Sometimes people say, well, fasting doesn't help me focus on prayer. Because when I don't eat, I get crabby. I get hangry. So that doesn't work for me. Well, I would just say maybe consider that as an excuse. Consider, is that a good enough excuse to not, to not fast? Because another way of saying that is, if I don't get what I want when I want it, I sin. So in that case, maybe you're the exact person who should practice fasting. Um, of course it's a sacrifice. Of course it's difficult. That's kind of the, the point, isn't it? That you're, you're doing something out of the ordinary. Um, and I think that if you pray for grace and you do it responsibly, you would be surprised how enjoyable um, and fulfilling it can be. I always think of that time in John chapter 4 where Jesus sends his disciples into the Samaritan town to go and get food, and they're famished, you know, and they don't have any food, and they go, and he waits at the, at the well, and then the woman comes, and he you know, basically announces that he's the Messiah to this woman at the well, and she's overjoyed, and she goes back, and she goes and shares the gospel just as the disciples come, and then they say, oh, we got you food. Now, they know that he hasn't eaten just like they haven't eaten. And so, yeah, we got your food. They're, still, they're probably already eating the food. And he says, no, that's okay. I have food that you, not, that you don't know of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And that is, that is an example of when you're walking in God's will, you will be fulfilled by what God is calling you to do to such a point that your physical appetites are easy to say no to. And sometimes you, you don't feel like a big meal. You, you feel like I'm, I'm perfectly content with what just happened. Just like when you're so sad that you don't want to eat, you can be so happy that you don't want to eat. Where you're just like, that was such an amazing thing. I just want to bask in the, the sense of how fulfilling that moment was where I got to share the gospel with somebody and, and they repented and this is the joy. And then somebody says, yeah, you want to bite of my burger? I'm like, no, no, I'm good, thanks. I'm I just, I feel full right now. That's what Jesus was saying. Um, okay, uh, so let me just, uh, I think I'm, I was wondering if maybe we should even have some questions. Would anyone have any questions if I opened it up for Q&A right now? Like we do on a Wednesday night, those of you come on Wednesday? I'll, I'll let you think about it for a moment. Let me say this. So if you, if you want to try fasting and you've never done it before, I would suggest you do this. You eat a healthy but light dinner at about 6 p.m., and then you don't eat anything until 7 p.m. the next day. So you've gone 24 hours without eating, um, and you effectively skip breakfast, lunch, and you postpone your next dinner, so you only actually end up missing two meals. Don't tell everyone about it. Don't tweet it. Don't take in picture of yourself and put it on Facebook. Look how disfigured my face is because I'm so tired because I'm fasting today. Don't do that. Um, and do it humbly. Use your breakfast time. Use your lunch time. Any time you would normally spend shopping or preparing food at that time and use that time to pray about whatever it is that you're, you're fasting for. If you have a legitimate health concern, then maybe give up something else like entertainment or exercise time or hobby time um, for a day and use that time that you would usually use in order to pray. And all of this is to cultivate a hunger for God. So let's pray. Hey, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and the examples we see in Scripture and uh, the knowledge that you are enough for us, that we, we love you so much that there are times when we can even say no to our physical appetites and needs. 
Um, and so I pray, Lord, for, for guidance um, and discernment as we become people who pursue you and your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe just before we... Th- we th- oh, are there any questions about fasting? Maybe if you're embarrassed to ask it now, you can do it on Wednesday. Susan's not embarrassed. <laughs> Okay, that's a good question. So she's asking, is it for a minimum of 24 hours? Now it says no. Uh, in Scripture, there's three-day fasts, there's 40-day fasts, there's one-day fasts. Um, but again, the reason there's no specific instruction in Scripture on how to do it is because it's, there are no requirements to do this. So you can really, if you want to fast, you can fast any way that is meeting your need. Um, and if you're, you want to focus on something, you want to skip one meal, then just skip one meal. Um, so it doesn't have to be 24 hours. The reason I picked that as an example, the sundown to sundown, is just in history, that's the way the Jewish people did it. So when I read about people fasting in the New Testament, I assume that that's the way they're doing it, just because that's the example we have from history. But there is no requirement to do it that way. Good question. Any other questions? Yes, Deb. Yes. So she's asking, I used, as an example, I fasted um, for, uh, d- at a time of direction and ministry change. So this was when um, I was a pastor in Hillcrest in South Africa, and there was this call to be the pastor here in Mobile, and I had to decide. <laughs> and so that was just a very, very big decision for me, and um, I went a few days just without eating, and it was, it was just something that happened quite naturally. Um, I, I didn't find it to be a major discipline. It was just I was praying all the time about that decision. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't mean it for it to be mystical or anything, but yeah, when you're, when you're focusing your thoughts that clearly on a certain thing, you're thinking about it so much, sometimes you find that you, the, the issues become clearer to you because, just because you're spending so much time thinking about it. Yeah. Good question. Any other questions? Yes. Okay, good question. So thank you for letting me clarify that. So I mentioned that Old Testament fasting is not the same as New Testament fasting. Jesus talks about the unshrunken cloth to kind of make that point. Um, What I meant, and then your follow-up question is, does that mean that there's no place for corporate fasting now? Okay, so good question. Um, What I meant by that is in the Old Testament, there were certain fasts that were mandated for the nation. We don't have any fasts that are mandated for us. So for example, the Day of Atonement um, was a day of fasting. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the whole time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you can eat other things, but you can't eat bread that's been leavened, etc. So that was a national command every year for everybody. And in that sense, we don't have that anymore. Um, but a corporate fast, there is a place for a corporate fast. Um, uh, perhaps if a church is calling a new pastor or making a big decision as a church together, the elders may call the church to fast on a particular day as a way of binding us all together in that um, that particular focus. And then again, just what you can do and that's medically helpful and within your ability to do, you do. And if you can't, then, then that's okay. So that would be an example of a corporate fast. Great, thank you for asking that. 